up, people? IET, the Haitian diaspora living in Haiti podcast. It's a brand new week, a brand new episode. So much to talk about. Hopefully, we can get it get it within an hour. We'll see. I'm accompanied by my right left hand man, the pastor. Yes, sir, Mark Antoine. Yes, sir. Good to have you, man. You were thoroughly missed. Thoroughly missed last episode yeah, uh, yeah. that we had uh, the fantastic Ana Ana Contreras. Uh, a lot of folks were asking about you. Uh, yeah, I know it was a conflict of schedule. We usually shoot uh, on the weekends. That was during yeah. the week. So nonetheless, it is what it is. But glad to have you back. And how are you doing, Mark? I'm doing well. Getting through uh, another another good week. Um, thank you for holding it down for me with, you know, with, with Anna. And um, yeah, just really, really excited to get to today's topic. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And and we, we have quite a bit to talk about. And we wanted this episode to be one, again, just us, you and I talking we want to do more of these because, uh, you know, we, we, we do want to add uh, from our perspectives of what we're seeing and what we've experienced as relates to particular conversational points. And, uh, and and this is one that we want to get right on top of because it's so current, right, which is COVID. We really want to talk about having just an earnest, frank discussion about our experience, what we've seen, uh, where things are, where things are going from COVID in Haiti in particular, Right. It's important that we, we do talk about that. And then and then most importantly, Mark, this is really going to be on you to bring about the NGO part, because that's really the the, the entity institution in Haiti right now that's responding. The government is the government. They're making a show of things. But but honestly, they just had a delivery of, of product, a product um, a PPE. Yeah, um, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and, and it still hasn't really gone to the hospital. So you know, I'm you know, we're not going to get into politics here. Uh, the the folks who have really been leading the charge and actually impacting and doing things, honestly, thus far has been the NGO community. So we want to talk about uh, NGOs in general. That's what we're going to branch off to. We're going to talk about NGOs in general, and and your NGO too, and and the difference between your NGO and NGOs like yours, and the yeah, NGOs yeah. of the prior generation. Even though more and more are starting to get it. Thankfully, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of them still don't. And so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. And so this was a two part episode, COVID and then just NGOs in general. Right. Yeah. Which, which you're, you're a uh, country director now. Yeah. For, for. Tier. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So I think uh, it's a pretty, pretty good conversations. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be really good. I think there has been a lot of a lot of change and transition in the way NGOs traditionally work and how they're working now. Um, and so really excited to share some of that with the listeners and um, yeah, really excited to tackle some of these really big challenges that we have around NGO work and development right. in Haiti. Good stuff. Good stuff. And and I uh, just want to drop a quick, quick little reminder, wherever you're listening to this from uh, just remember, hit a, hit a, hit a star, hit a like, share it. Uh, let's get some more folks cognizant of, of what, what we have going on here uh, in the podcast. And, and cause you know, we, it's, it's, the goal is to add value added, uh, uh, not just knowledge, but just uh, I, I like to say the ROI, return on information. Yeah. <laughs> and the more folks who are more cognizant, the, the higher ROI that we have. Right. Yeah. So, 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 Mark, what have you been hearing? Because I, I had the, I left uh, again. This is something that I had already booked my flight months in advance, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and when I left Haiti in, in mid March. Uh, you know, uh, Haiti hadn't really had maybe a case or two and, and yeah. things were starting to get a little nervous, you know, in the, at least the government sphere level, Yeah. but, but it hadn't really kicked off. And then literally about two days before I was supposed to fly back to, 
to Haiti, the airport shut down. Like, yeah. you know, there's no entry into the country. And since then, I've been stateside. But you you were in uh, Haiti for another two to three weeks yeah. working and you, you know, running things, leading the charge on an NGO. So you can really speak to, because uh, I've been you know, reporting and keeping a very close post on it, but you're on, you were on the ground. Yeah. So you can tell me, you can tell us really, uh, you know, how the timeline of how you were seeing things and then, and then ultimately what sort of responses were you seeing initially uh, with COVID? Yeah. Um, yeah. So those first uh, couple of weeks in Haiti, I, I, I think that Haiti benefited from um, seeing what the, what was going on in the rest of the world. Um, and so, you know, coronavirus took a while to actually, we reported our first case, I believe in March, whereas other countries, you know, uh, you know, especially China was back in December, US, January, February timeframe, a lot of those other countries earlier in the year. Um, and so Haiti was able to see what was going on and what preventative measures to take. Um, and so when everyone was giving numbers, the projected numbers um, about Haiti, I thought that it would be considerably less just because we had more information and we were better prepared. And so I actually will say that the government did act, you know, in in, in, in the right ways on this um, by locking the country down before it got to be a big you know issue um and so i think you know at the moment right now there are about four million cases around the world over two hundred and seventy thousand deaths in haiti at the moment i think we're at over 140 cases with 12 deaths um and while i was in in haiti the first thing um on march in march that the president and prime minister decided to do was to institute um a curfew at 8 p.m they closed down the schools. They limited gatherings to no more than 10 people. Um, and businesses started, you know, sending people home. People started working from home um, and, and things like that. Um, and so that really helped, um, and, and, you know, lessen uh, the burden um, of, of risk that we had. Um, and immediately what the NGO world um, was focusing on um, I think in general, it was three things. The first one was awareness raising. Um, you know, in Haiti, there's a lot of issues around awareness and information and the right information. And there were so many different things being said about what coronavirus was, about what it could do to you. And it was, you know, a lot of people had a lot of fear um, around it. And so a lot of the big work that NGOs began to do was really spreading awareness through WhatsApp, through social media. Um, through getting people to go door to door. And, you know, that really helped, especially in the rural areas where people have less access to media, less access to information. So that was the first thing, raising awareness. The second thing was really what we in the NGO sector, we call WASH. And WASH is an acronym um, that stands for Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene. Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene is big. Um, and, and, and especially when you have epidemics and pandemics um, where washing your hands is important, where cleanliness is important, where sanitation is important. Um, and so a lot of NGOs began to give a lot, you know, put even more of a focus on wash, making sure people had water, clean water, making sure people had soap, making sure people had some kind of infrastructure to wash their hands um, in the home, as you know. Um, in a lot of rural areas in Haiti, people don't have infrastructure. They don't have running water in their homes, um, not even in the rural areas, even in the city. Many uh -huh. families don't have running water in their homes. Yep. Um, and so one of the things Tear Fund did was we began to promote tippy taps 
TP Taps is a very um, elementary, um, you know, cheap, inexpensive way um, to to have a, a water system, water infrastructure in your house. And it's basically just using pedals um, and a gallon of water to wash your hands. And um, we've been helping families put those in. Uh, so that's a second phase, really a focus on wash, getting people to make sure that they're being clean so that the uh, virus doesn't spread. And the third thing um, which NGOs began to do um, was more of a scale up. We we know that in about four weeks, Haiti will be entering into our hurricane season, um, which is very problematic for our country. Um, and it's already been reported that this hurricane season um, will be a much more busy hurricane season than last year. Um, and prior to coronavirus, Haiti was already what we call phase three crisis phase for food insecurity. Um, about 35 to 40% of the people in the country were food insecure. Um, and so now with coronavirus, where you have people quarantining, not able to go to work, not able to make money, is going to exacerbate the food insecurity of families. And then you have you know, this hurricane season that's approaching um, where a lot of farms and agriculture will now be in danger. If people don't plant at the right time, they'll be in danger. Um, and so food insecurity is definitely going to rise. And so the third element that NGO started to focus on was getting food to these people. Um, and there are two ways to do that. You can either do it through in-kind distribution, you know, which is basically you buy the food and then you distribute it to the families, or you can do it through cash transfers, which is what a lot of NGOs are prioritizing prioritizing now is the transfer of cash um, through different financial institutions to families. Um, and unfortunately, the food basket for families um, this month is up to 10,000 goods. It's $100. It's very expensive. The food basket is basically the amount of, of calories um, a family of five needs per day, extrapolated over a month. Um, and then you put a, a dollar value on that. And so to give, and I believe the, the calories is 2,100 calories per day per person. Um, so at the moment to feed a family of five, you know, just the basic level of, of food, a family needs around 10,000 goods, which is the equivalent of $100. Um, and so that's what a lot of the NGOs have been doing, you know, these distributions to families. And so that's the big work really, you know, I, I went through that really fast. Sorry if your heads are spinning, but <laughs> that's, that's what the NGOs start to do. And so really kudos to a lot of NGOs that, you know, were able to hop on that quickly. Kudos to the government as well for getting things shut down as much as possible. Um, and so that's, that's where we are in Haiti at the moment. And lots to unpack there. So let's unpack them. So, so first and foremost, you know, for folks, you know, I think at this point, everyone knows what COVID is. It's a, it's a virus that uh, flu virus ish, right. That came from, uh, they know for sure bats, it hopped into some sort of animal in between. And then, it, and then it became, it, 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 it migrated to humans, very contagious, very deadly relative to the flu itself. There is no protection necessarily. So waiting on a vaccine. Most people who get it actually um, are asymptomatic, meaning that nothing, they don't even show symptoms. Right. Um, which is why, again, it's so dangerous because you can still be spreading it during that period. And uh, so I think at which point everyone knows it, where everyone's affected by COVID. Uh, at this point, I say affected, like, you know, their lives have been changed. Mm -hmm. So everyone knows what it is. So I won't go into too much detail. Uh, you know, came from China, obviously. 
you know, so so as it relates to to Haiti, uh, you know, this is certainly problematic because the fact that um, you know, as you alluded to, so many people you can't stay home, right? Because yeah. ideally, folks are saying in other developed countries they're saying stay home because mm-hmm. uh, you know that's how you you know lower the 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 the, uh, uh, the curve, right? By having sure folks aren't out spreading it and but you, it's hard to do that in haiti where literally if you don't go out you don't eat right you don't go yeah. out, you don't make the money uh and and you know it's it's yes the haitian government recently announced that uh they are providing three thousand good mm-hmm. but, but what i've heard thus far right uh is the initial wave which might be the only wave uh question mm. mark where you know, where it's only it was only folks who had a digicel moncash Mm-hmm. We're getting it right, and whether or not that, because as I was, uh, I was understanding, it was going to be the first wave, but a lot of people are saying this is the only wave. So I'm not too mm-hmm. sure where that is right now. Uh, um, I haven't, I haven't done my usual research for Haiti Biz News just yet today, and so I'm sure by the end of today I'll have a better idea of where that is. But that's certainly troubling if that really is the case. And uh, and further, you know, the other social nets that other countries are having, we don't have. Food stamps are, are certainly helping a lot of people in America. Right. Other countries have gone much more aggressively to say hey, we're providing income equal to a certain amount every single month until yeah. this crisis is over. Uh, and none of that, none of that has ha- is happening. Haiti, no. you know, arguably because it can't, you know. But I, you know, me, in my perspective, Haiti doesn't have a money problem; it has a mis- mismanagement problem, yeah. right? So that's a whole different conversation for another day. Uh, and so, so, yes, we can give the government some credit here. They acted very quickly, very aggressively to to close the border, close mm-hmm. factories, um, and, and and other preventative measures, uh, which which still you know still could be better. For example, they just only recently started giving out masks, yeah. right? But they did mobilize the, the production of masks relatively yeah. quickly. So I think their overall response, I can say, is is better, much better than expected. And then that sure. and that says a lot for Haiti to do something better than expected. It says a yeah. lot. It doesn't say much too, but but says a lot. Uh, <laughs> And and so overall, the the they've been responsive and 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 leading the charge, but but again, it goes back to the people, the people here who are at the heart of this. Uh, I don't know. A part of me feels like because the Haitian demographically is so young. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, hopefully that youth mm-hmm. would mean that uh, it, it would be as deadly. It wouldn't be as deadly. But the sure. problem is, yes, we have a lot of youth. You know, percent as a percentage, I think somewhere around fifty to six percent of the entire Haitian population is a, hovers around the median age of 23, 24 years old, mm-hmm. right? But the problem is, the for for the older people who may be less as a percentage of the population, yeah. it would be exceptionally deadly because of the fact that we know that it targets them, you know, yeah. most egregiously, and we don't have much of a medical. The medical infrastructure isn't there to help. Yes, you know, for those most vulnerable people, yes. right? And and, and and we know too the Haitian health, health Haitians health is problematic. Uh, you know, Haitians as a whole suffer from diabetes in high percentages. They suffer from mm-hmm. high blood pressure, um, a lot of a lot of ailments that this 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 uh, this, this virus um, really feeds on in terms yeah. of the impact that it provides. So so it's certainly problematic, and and I don't. Uh, you know, so far the numbers have been low. It's questionable. It's questionable. I must say, Mark. You know, what's right? What's making it low? Is it sure. because we just haven't tested a lot? 
mm-hmm. or, or is it really low? Right. And I think it's the answer is something in the middle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. We're in the middle where we certainly if we were to test more, we could find more. Sure. But two, I think fortunately, just because we haven't, you know, you know, for better or for worse, you know, right before this, uh, Haiti was on a level four travel advisory. Right. Uh, so the tourism was certainly down. Yeah. So that also means the amount of foreigners who could have brought in the infection weren't really coming in. Exactly. Uh, so it's great. But but then at the same time, too, you know, we know there's been uh, thousands upon thousands of Haitians from the Dominican Republic coming back into Haiti. Despite the the, the border closure, they're just walking across the border. Because, you know, there's a very porous, almost non-existent border between the DR and Haiti. And this is walking across, right, getting back home because all the jobs and opportunities have been shut out for Haitians in the DR. Uh, Haitians in the DR haven't had uh, any support either from the Dominican government versus, you know, the actual Dominicans being supported. Right or wrong, I don't I don't I'm not here to talk about that. But the result is a lot of Haitians are, are coming, coming back and a lot of them aren't being tested. A lot of them. Certainly, because, you know, right now, last I recall, we had over 9,000 positive cases in, in DR and thousands of deaths already. Right. And so certainly it's it's uh, very problematic to have to be in a situation where we don't really know the state of 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 of, of COVID infection. And we already but we already know that you know, these hospitals aren't um, ready. And really, the worst part here, Mark, is is that there's been a lot of stories where. You know, for example, Bernard Mebs, one of the most important, uh, well put together hospital in the Port-au-Prince area, they 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 had a COVID wing, right? A COVID wing uh, specifically to help quarantine and treat COVID positive cases in a in a in a humane way, in a humane in a way that wouldn't affect put them back into the general population. But the people in the community, right? The people in the community decided that. Uh, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't function. They decided that, you know, you know what? Uh, they didn't want it in their backyard. They protested. They, they, they put up picket signs and the hospital itself succumbed to that pressure. Right. And they aren't providing, they weren't providing um, uh, that anymore. Right. So we're certainly, it's certainly a, a very tricky situation. I must say. Um, to to be uh, in Haiti and and expecting a proper response, right? So so that's really shows the misconception of the community, right? When you have them at arms, and that's just Bernard Mebs. There's lots of cases all across the country um, where folks are not understanding um, how the transmission occurs, and they're just literally, you know, to hear someone has it, uh, yeah. it's picket signs, or someone has died from it. You know, good luck trying to do a funeral or get a funeral done. Mm. I want the body there, right? As if that is a way infections happen, right? And mm. so, and so, you know, it's it's certainly on many different fronts. It's troubling. Uh, I, I think it's a, a grace and blessing thus far that we had uh, so many official counts to be so low. But but again, as I as you look at the curve, right, you can see that there's been expert. There's the growth ha- is beginning, right? We're not we're not on the tail end of of it. Right, because just last yesterday or the day before, we had over 20 new cases. Uh, before we were getting about eight, you know, five, six, eight new cases a day. Yeah. The other day, we got 21. Right, yeah, so it's, yeah. it's we're certainly starting to really uh, uh, escalate, yeah, the amount of cases we have upwards, and that's indicative 
that we're, we're very far from the top of that curve here in Haiti. Uh, I, I really would estimate that we probably hit that top mm-hmm. of the curve at the end of end of this month, beginning of beginning of, of of next month. Just hit the top of the curve now, right? Meaning we have a lot more growth to go. In my perspective, and understanding that there's so many again, as I mentioned before, so many Dominicans coming in, uh, the Haitians from the Dominican coming in, uh, and we don't know uh, how many have positive cases. So I, it's, it's certainly uh, a difficult situation, and um, we're certainly hoping for the best. Uh, we, from a reaction perspective, I know my employees in my office, you know, I made sure even at the very beginning, uh, once once this was very obviously serious and it was very obviously in Haiti, made sure they I purchased the masks, copies, you know, multiple masks for not only just them, but for their families, made sure there's, you know, plenty of cleaning material at, at the office. Um, mm. so that's, uh, everything gets cleaned every day. Everything gets sprayed down every day. So we're doing sort yeah. of our part in my office, that's for sure. Uh, and and it's just a tricky time. It's a tricky time, man. You know, COVID yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's completely is completely. I mean, just put everything upside down. I think it was, I forget who it was, but said this this might be the biggest issue of our generation. Certainly, um, certainly. it's just wild to see what we're living through. World, absolutely. Because when you when you look at England right now, England, England is experiencing. When I say England, United Kingdom is experiencing mm-hmm. worse economic performance and its GDP and its government since mm-hmm. 1709. And what happened wow. in 1709 was wow. was that the, the River Thames, the key river that cuts through London and, and, and is a function mm-hmm. important shipping lane for the entire country. Uh, it froze over for multiple months. It was like they had one of the worst winters, and for like, like all the way until like June, July, some some crazy nonsense like that. It was still frozen, mm. <laughs> you know. And so, literally, there was no economic activity for for an extended period of time. And that's so that's the oh, last time they've seen numbers this bad. In yeah, nine, right? Wow. And so, and so uh, you know, I can't s- s- tell you, you know, for for little hating and lady Haiti had was coming out of pay lock. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming out with level four travel advisor, which which both those things together are terrible. But now you have this. It's uh, and you and and you spoke to some things that are very important. That you know the, the you know famine, you know food insecurity. Mm-hmm. You know we're they're very perilously perched at that point in time, uh, even before COVID. Like I think the the amount of folks who were food insecure had risen to somewhere to thirty to forty percent, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You know, that's before, you know, and it's hard to know the exact numbers now, but it's certainly much higher. Right. Um, and it's it's very much mm. uh, it's a troubling time. Man. And it's 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 certainly discouraging. But at the same time, too, it's it's something that you know, folks like you who are on the who are really pushing, you know, the um, improving the conditions of Haiti. I'm sure it's 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 a time of action for you guys. It's a time of. Yeah. We're working harder. We're working hard, but we gotta work even harder, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but so that's my perspective. My perspective is is very grim. Um, mm-hmm. I'm confident somehow, some way, Haiti will find a way out. And again, if these numbers can stay relatively low, that will be a positive, a positive overall. If Haiti can go yeah. out of this and and not and not be as hard hit, the national community has really stepped up themselves, been providing a lot of direct aid for the government to be able to produce a, a proper response. Um, so hats off to the international community from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm just, you know, it's, I, I, it's hard for it's hard for me to know. Uh, Cause you know, I, yeah. I, I like things positively, but it's hard to, <laughs> well, you know, 
to do that in this case. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's tough. I, I think I think I'm a I'm a bit more optimistic. Okay. I'm a bit more optimistic. Um at, at first I was not as optimistic because like you said, um the culture of our people with you know where everyone is where everyone has to be in close quarters. I mean in the street markets on the top tops, it's a breeding ground for the transmission of the virus. Um when you couple that with the weak infrastructure that we have in our healthcare institutions, it seems as if Haiti is this kind of, you know, perfect place for coronavirus to cause, you know, irreparable damage. However, the, the reason why I'm a bit more optimistic, one is because our numbers remain low. And, and I know that, you know, it's usually six weeks after the first case re is reported that you begin to see a real spike. And I think this week that just passed was our sixth week. Um, so like you said, we may continue to see, you know, I don't think we've gotten to the spike yet. I don't, I don't think we've hit the top of the curve yet. However, you, and, and again, there hasn't been a lot of testing done. And so we still lack on the testing side, but you really don't hear people passing away um, in communities, you don't hear local radios um, reporting that two, three people died in this house or five people died in this neighborhood or a group of people died here. And so we're not really getting those cases. So even if even when there are not many tests being conducted, but there aren't many, you know, um, unofficial reports either of people being sick or people passing away. And because we're not getting that information from communities. Um, it, it's kind of, it's an indicator for me that, you know, this thing may have not spread as much as we think it did. Um, and so that's kind of where I am in, in, in my thinking. But again, we are preparing for, you know, the worst um, and, and hoping that, you know, we, we don't get it. But like you said, very challenging and nerving, unprecedented times for the world and for Haiti. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this being being done, you know, because I certainly want to get back to the country. Uh, you, you're right, though. We haven't, you know, the rumor mill of, of Haiti is pretty strong. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I certainly would have heard more. But but at the same time, too, uh, what I've seen thus far amongst people is really a pushback in, in, in like in saying, well, this even the very first COVID case death, you know, in the second, even the second Mm -hmm. I was getting comments. I, was, I read comments from the family saying, "No, what? What do you mean? This was COVID. The guy, the guy had diabetes, and and so mm -hmm. he was sick even before. And so even amongst those who are perishing from it, you have family members coming and saying, "No, we dispute this. Mm. We do not believe this was a COVID death. You see. And so I, I wonder, even those who may be dying, the family families may not be." We're getting the word out mm -hmm. about COVID, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. not, not only from just genuine ignorance, but but out of genuine fear. Yeah, right? yeah. It, once you once it were to come out that someone had COVID and died of COVID, the community at arm would would come and and sure. and, and there would be reprisals for mm -hmm. someone that's not even the control of the people who live there, right? Because I've seen it, I've seen it, right? Uh, that's true. That's true. Right? So so that it's very complicated, very nuanced. Um, mm -hmm. for, you know, just taking the stats at face value for what they are, they are low and, and that's important. That's good. Right. But I certainly just wanted to take a step back and, and talk about it. I know there's been a lot of 
very positive things to come out of this. For example, a lot of communities were have been putting, you know, water sanitation buckets for mm -hmm. folks to wash their hands and soap, and they just leave it freely, you know, open yeah. in public, and folks have been using it. Uh, and even I mean, some folks say, "Hey, please leave five good or or, or, or a good, mm -hmm. so so we can re re refill this, you know, refill the water and, and stuff," and which is great um, for those who do contribute uh, to yeah. that. So we've seen we've seen we've seen some as always Haitians, you know, we you know we step up. You know, Haitians step yeah. up in times of crisis. I, I just know, for example, anytime there's an accident or, or something happening, um, for example, recently uh, coming from Ish, I got to a car accident. Um, mm -hmm. I, well, I didn't hit a car, but my, it was, it was wet. And then the car I had fell into a ditch. Not too many folks know this. Your car. And yeah. My, my little Chevy green trucker yeah, okay. yeah, fell into a, fell into a, a ditch. Luckily oh. it was on the right side of the ditch and it wasn't side. It wasn't off the cliff. My God. Cause it could have been off the cliff and that would have been a whole different story. Yeah. And, and so the car wasn't too badly banged up. Um, had to spend you know, a few hundred bucks to get and get it back working, but, but just to get it out. You know, it was. I thought honestly, I thought we were in the middle of nowhere. But but there was some some men out there, and they're extremely helpful. One of the men knew another guy who had a truck. I want to say truck, like a camion. You know what I mean, like yeah. a big old camion. And 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 another guy had had a steel uh, rod, nah, steel rope, kind of steel. I don't know how to describe it. It's mm -hmm. like a steel rope. And he was able to tie it underneath the car, and like literally had four of the guys pushing. And the this truck, and so literally out of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, Haitians stepped up. And and here's the thing: so the car, the axle, the the right axle, of the tire could not uh, could not go anywhere. It was broken, so the car mm. couldn't couldn't move. So we had to uh, you know had to have brought a mechanic with parts to fix it. Right? Mm. We could have done. We could not have done it that day. It was a Sunday. It was like like four o'clock in the afternoon. It was raining. So it wasn't going to happen. So we had to leave the car there. And so literally one of the guys who helped us volunteered to watch the car for us. Mm -hmm. And even and to the point where this is where we trusted, right? We gave him the keys. We don't know this guy. Wow. This guy from, from George, between George <laughs> and Jacques, don't know. Gave him the keys. He slept in the car. What? Ensure that the car would have been safe. We, and then we my my. My driver at the time, you know, came back with a mechanic on a moto from Port-au-Prince because we're again we're all the way in the hills of uh, if you, you know you know where uh, Montcarbuit. So yeah, yeah. after there's an area called I think um, something Wouge, Point Wouge or something like that is mm. where we're just about there. And uh, and then literally, so we, we brought the car the next day. He was there, you know, and then of course we gave him a little tip, man. You know, you know that that level sure. of service, we gave him a little tip to help him yeah. out. But but just to kind of show you the the lengths folks will go to help you in Haiti, you know, yeah, folks, sure. you know we don't share enough of these stories, man. We share, you know, Haitians are so quick to share these these small percentage negative stories, and yeah. so to share these awesome stories, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I share that story just to say, you know, there are a lot of positive stories of folks stepping up during times of crisis to help their community preventatively, for sure, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Um, it's just that some of these, you know, pro, you know, after the fact, because of the fear, you know, fear is just just a seditious yeah. um, thing that kind of just pervades and and and, and overcomes reason. Mm. It's very problematic, right? So, uh, but yeah, so that's my perspective on COVID. Uh, I think there's not much to add there, honestly, than what we've said. 
Um, but I, so I do, I do want to kind of transition this conversation to NGOs because mm -hmm. uh, I, I know you you run an NGO. I, I love for folks to learn a little more about your NGO and what they do and the extent. So even before you know the, the, this this response, we, all the things things you do you've done this company. You know the history of the organization, not just in Haiti but just in just really break down tear front for us. But but before we do, do you have anything else you want to say about COVID? No, I think we've we've covered it. Yeah. All right. So yeah, yeah, man. We're all ears, man. Break down. What is Tier Fun? Uh, how you know, just you know, your involvement in it. When you got in it, just just break all that down. What is doing in Haiti? Just you know, we're, we're we're students here. We're and uh, you're the teacher. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah. So Tier Fund, Tier Fund is is is, is a wonderful organization. Um, it actually started back in the late '60s started back in the late 60s as a response to the war that was going on in Nigeria. I'm not sure how many of our listeners know there was a war in Nigeria called the Biafra War um, in the late 60s. And there were there were there was a group of evangelicals in the UK who saw what was going on and decided to send money um, to help with um, aid. Um, to help with a hum humanitarian response, basically. Um, and this fund that they gathered from the different churches in the UK, they called it the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund. And that's where you get tear fund from. It's an acronym. The first part is an acronym. The mm -hmm. Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund. So it was a fund from the Evangelical Alliance in the UK, and they sent that to um, support the the needs that were happening in Nigeria and over the past 50 um in in few years we've been working um all over the world um we work in over 50 countries we do community development we do advocacy work and of course humanitarian response and the whole idea um of tier fund is to go where the needs are greatest where they are greatest and that means going you know into war zones that means going into you know, areas that's very difficult to get into, some of the places where we work, um, you know, we're not even at liberty to disclose. Um, so it's, a, it's it's an organization that understands the needs of humanity and, um, you know, we're willing to go and address those needs. Um, what's special about Tear Fund um, is that we believe that real transformation has to happen from the inside out. It cannot happen from the outside in. Um, and it is because of that belief we partner with the local communities and local churches. They inform um, the projects. They inform the programs. They inform, you know, what they that they want and what they want to see and how they think transformation can be done in their area. Um, and then we come alongside them and provide. Um, support and resources, whether that's technical resources, financial resources, human resources, what have you. Um, and so Tear Fund is really special in, in that way, whereas traditional, you know, the traditional NGO is, hey, um, let's write a, you know, let's, hey, look, this country has a problem, this community has a problem, let's write a project and let's go in and do it for the people. Um, whereas we go into the community, we talk to the people, we build relationships, we understand and you know, get to understand what their, you know, what their issues are from them, um, and then we, alongside them, try to address those issues. Um, and so we've been working in Haiti uh, since the seventies. Um, through at first, there was a uh, a desk researcher um, in the UK who was sending money 
to the Evangelical Alliance in Haiti. Um, and so then dust. Oh, a Dutch. Okay, okay. Dutch. No, sorry, sorry. Desk. Desk. Oh, desk researcher. Yeah, yeah. So it was just somebody right. that was based in the UK, um, uh, sending to Haiti. So we didn't have an office in, in uh, Haiti. Okay, okay. Yeah. So the first office um, started in 2008, I believe, and the first director was Jean Claude Saylor. He's a mentor of mine, and he's a really, really wise um, and revolutionary um, political religious mind. Uh, he's he's an amazing, amazing person, Jean-Claude Saylor. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we started working, you know, with our office in 2008. And since then, we've, you know, we've been supporting organizations. And so we're a donor. We don't implement projects directly unless there is some type of disaster or a special project that requires that we do some response and that there isn't already um, expertise in Haiti to do so. Um, but we partner with organizations, local and international organizations. We give them, um, you know, grants and technical support um, and, and help them work with communities. Um, so that's what we do. Um, I'm the director now and we have a team of 12 um, and we're focused. Well, right now we're focused on coronavirus, as is everyone. Um, but some of our focus, some of our you know focus areas are food security. Um, youth empowerment and everything that we do we thought we do it through the lens of enterprise-led development i think i've spoken to you about this before um it's really you know looking at the past 50 100 years of ngo work um we're not seeing the level of transformation that we should and the problem is because of the way that tr development has traditionally happened it's you know been through handouts I'll give you this. Um, but we're actually, what we know is that people get out of poverty through work and through employment. Um, and so our idea is really to do development through enterprise. So no matter what it is, you know, whether it's a farmer, how does that farmer, you know, partner with other farmers to increase their yields and in their production and then connect them to local markets? That's what we want to do. Um, the, the era of helping families plant two, three bananas and then take a picture with them and put it on their website, that's dead. <laughs> that, that was never development. Um, and so we, we really want to help farmers get money through enterprise. Um, youth, how can we tap into the potential of these young people um, you know, to, to, to build business? Um, Things that you know we're we're doing around wash and you know water and sanitation and hygiene. How do we help um, you know people with technicians who are in communities um, to build infrastructure and then you know create enterprises out of that? We want to make sure that we're creating enterprise um, and helping people to create income and economy for their families rather than just giving them things and and perpetuating the cycle of poverty. Um, and so that's you know that's us in a nutshell. Um, I, I'm I'm really honored, you know, to to work for such a great organization, and really honored to to lead such a great team in Haiti. Wow! So yeah, they, yeah certainly a company, that, uh, like an NGO that gets it right. Certainly they they understand. It was certainly my perspective, which I'll be share. I'll share in a, in, a, in a moment about what what other NGOs are doing wrong. Um, and so, but to to continue on with Tier Fund, so it sounds like uh, let's talk about their donors. So do they just sort of crowdfund or do they 
you know, get it from the is percentage from the church? Like how, how what's their how's their what's their donor base like? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, so most of our most of our donors are actually individuals um in the UK. Um people who, who give either to, to the church or they just give to you know to the charity outside of a church. Um and that accounts for if 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 my memory serves me, about sixty to seventy percent of our income. Um so a lot of people are very faithful in their giving. Um, and that's because of our you know, capacity to work. That's because of the way we've monitored. That's because of our reporting systems. That's because of the faith that people have in our organization, that they're very faithful um, in giving. Um, the other chunk of our money comes from institutional funds. And by that, I mean government, you know, whether it's the U.S. government, whether it's the U.K. government, um, and then other, you know, trusts, foundations. Um, and things of the like. So that's where a lot of our funding funding comes from. Interesting. So that's, you know, I'm sure you're, you're keeping an eye on that because we just talked about it, the UK economy and performing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm sure that's uh, a, uh, a uh, something yep. we're trying to work work toward, against or, you know, deal with, right? So interesting. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. we'll go, I won't go there, but I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that's the top of your minds right now. Yeah. Uh, so how did, so how did you get, like, you know, did you just apply? How did that happen? How did you get in, you know, contact with Tiffin? What's that story of you connecting with them? Um, yeah. Um, and, and, and this story actually speaks to the exactly what we're trying to do here is build a network of Haitian diaspora. Um, and so basically when I was an undergrad, I went to undergrad um, um, at, a, at a school called Immaculata University in Pennsylvania. Um, and there I met uh, a young woman by the name of Natalie Serrin, um, who was a year younger than me. Um, and she was also Haitian. She was a singer. Um, and we became friends and we remained friends even after graduating. We both lived in Philadelphia um, and we remained friends. And so while I was in grad school, um, uh, I started studying international development. Um, and one of the organizations we did a case study on was Tear Fund. And I was like, wow, this this sounds like an amazing organization. I really like, you know, their strategy. I, I like their vision. Um, and I'm really interested in how they do work. And they worked in Haiti. And by that time, I was already aware that I would be moving to Haiti sometime in the near future. Um, so actually, at, when I finished grad school, we had to do an um, internship at an NGO. Um, and I did not want to come to Haiti because I already knew that my life would be in Haiti. So I wanted to get an internship experience in another country. Um, so I applied for, you know, NGOs all over the world, uh, in parts of Africa, parts of Asia, parts of South America, Central America, everywhere. No one got back to me. No one got back to me. I put out so many applications. I just, you know, really defeated. No one, no NGO got back to me. Um, and so finally I decided, okay, maybe I'll try Haiti. So I called a friend um, in Haiti, Pastor Valerie Vidalin, um, a good friend of mine. And he said, yeah, reach out to Jean-Claude Serrin. He's the director of Tear Fund. And I was like, Tear Fund? I was like, I know Tear Fund. He was like, yeah, he's a director. He's a really, really nice guy. Reach out to him and see if they're willing. And when he said the name Serrin, I was like, yo, that's Natalie's last name. And so I called Natalie and I said, Natalie, do you know somebody named Jean-Claude Taylor? And she was like, yeah, that's my dad. I said, yo, that's your dad? She was like, yeah, that's my dad. I was like, yo, he's the director of Tear Fund. She was like, yeah, I know. That's <laughs> so funny. That I was like, yo, I need to meet him. And then she, the next thing is what really killed me. She was like, he's in Philly this week. I said, your dad is in Philly this week? She was like, yeah. I was like, wow. 
and, and that actually was the same week. Um, if you remember, Chris, back in 2000 and uh, what is it? 2015 is when the DR passed that law that mm -hmm. retroactively took away yeah. mm -hmm. a citizenship from Haitians living in the DR. Mm -hmm. And they were kicking Haitians out of the DR. And so I organized a march in Philadelphia against that. Um, and we organized a series of marches um, in Philly where we had, you know, the Haitian um, population in Philadelphia come out, march, go on TV, you know, and all that. And so I said, invite your dad to the march. And she did. She invited her father to the march. Um, we met, we spoke. He was really, you know, excited about the march and all that. And then um, he was like, yeah, come on, come on over to Haiti. Come spend some time with us in Haiti. I'll give you the internship and I'll, and I'll pay you for the internship. I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, wow. And so that's how it that's how it happened. So I bought a one-way ticket to Haiti. I landed in Haiti August 2015. And then December came around and he was like, hey, um, we want you to stay full time. Um, and I was like, no problem. I went back home for Christmas. I told my mom and dad I'm staying. And then I bought a one-way ticket back in January. <laughs> that's how it happened. It's history, as they say. That is a uh, happenstance sort of, you know, it's yeah, so, so important to network and not piss, piss, piss people off because you never know who <laughs> in your life will connect you with yeah. who you need to be connected with. Yeah. Don't burn bridges and, and really tap into the, the network of mm -hmm. Haitian Americans and Haitian Canadians and, you know, other Haitian diaspora is very powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, so the organization itself is, uh, as, as, as you alluded to, being funded by the Evan, that's a tough word for me. Evangelical Church, voila. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a Christian based organization. It is. How, how does that work? How does that intersect? Um, do you do you guys also do outreach, religious outreach, right, to kind of uh, inform people about Christ and 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 the Word of God, or how does that how does that blend into the mission? Okay, so we we do not proselytize, so we don't do evangelism, we don't go out and preach. Um, However, in our work with the local church, we do work with the local church in a way to help them understand that as Christians, there is a duty for the local church to be salt and light in the community. And what does that look like? Um, and basically what that looks like is responding to the needs, the holistic needs of your community. What has happened is that the church has kind of um, put everything into compartments, compartmentalized our work. And so the church sees, um, traditionally the church says, Hey, we, there's spiritual work that's going on. So we need to preach to people, evangelize, get people to convert and be saved. And then on the side, we respond to kind of the social needs of the people. So we open up schools and give out food and things like that. Um, but the social aspect, they kind of just see it as an aside, as like a nice thing to do. But in actuality, what we, what we've been telling, you know, and trying to tell the church and through the scriptures is actually, the word of God does not compartmentalize like that. Um, people are whole beings with holistic needs um, and the spiritual needs um, and their social needs are one in the same. They're not different. Um, like the word of God says, if you, if, if a young brother is hungry and you tell him that you're going to pray for him, does that fill his stomach? No, it does not pray for him. Is, 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 that's cool. But you also need to respond to the need, the physical needs um, that he has. And so, what the work that we do in regards to, you know, whatever, you know, Bible and things like that is work with the church to help them to understand the integral piece of the mission of the church. 
that the spiritual outreach of the church is not separated from the social outreach from the church. The spiritual part of human humanity is not separated from the physical part of humanity. Um, and so that's that's what we do in regards to, you know, spiritual work is really helping the church to, you know, understand and understand its identity. But in regards to preaching and evangelizing, we do not do that. Um, you know, as people work in NGO world, we know that um, we we subscribe to certain standards, um, which we call the core humanitarian standards, which says um, that we give aid not based on any um, factors of sex, of religion, uh, of color, of ethnicity, of background, anything like that. It's um, we we make sure that we are, you know, we are across the board and in, in re responding to the needs of of people. So yeah. All right, respect, respect. Uh, certainly, I, I get that. Uh, so yeah, so that's tier fund, and, and and I know you guys have done some really cool stuff. Can you say any like what, what specific projects, one or two that you can really show, like you know here? Because I know of one. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you're going to use that one as an example, but like Tara's specific example of, of, of a partnership and, and the sort of results it's provided in terms of a job perspective and just overall impact yeah. community or the people involved. Yeah, I'm I'm going to use the one which you probably know of just because it's that that project is such a holistic project. I mean, you know, it covers and, and, and you know, ticks so many boxes. Um, you you know, the guys at Eyes um, Wazir, um, James and, and Obed, um, there are two young guys um, that we met who live in Kafu, um, and they decided a few years ago to to respond to the issue of waste, which is huge in Kafu. People who live in Kafu know you know what it's like and i lived in kafu for a number of years um when it rains brother it's hard to get from a to b just because you know the canals are clogged with plastic waste they're clogged with food they're clogged with everything um and so these guys said hey let's respond to this plastic problem let's take some of these plastic especially the water sachets and let's turn them into book bags um and they began doing that and they've been really successful at that you know they sell book bags to the government. They sell book bags to different NGOs. Um, it's pretty, it's still kind of hard selling book bags to the common Haitian because of the um, stigma attached with recyclable. So let me let me jump in there just so folks understand what he's talking about. These plastic sachets, they're in Haiti. It's very common. The way folks get buy water, they don't buy it like here in, in America. We buy Dasani bottles or Zephyr Hills plastic bottles. But in Haiti, it's like these little patches, these little satchels like this. Trying to imagine, like, I don't know, growing up, you got these like those juice plastic mm -hmm. bags that used to hold juice, but in Haiti, it's water. Yeah. And folks usually buy them in, in batches with three, right? For like really cheap, like five good. Mm -hmm. And then once you drink it, they toss on the ground, right? Right. So, what they've done is they've started, uh, they have a company that they basically collect these uh, off the ground, wash them, and then, and then use it, and then, then use a special machine to kind of put them. To merge them together as like a sheet of plastic, which then is used in, in bags and, and just a bunch of different things that wearable material. Right. And that came in the company's Aguizade Rosier. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I did a feature on them on CGNT. If you guys want to YouTube CGNT and take a look at them from an extensive visual perspective. So yeah, I just wanted to jump in and let most folks know, really understand what those were. So yeah. So you've helped them in what way though, you're providing funds, guidance, like what, how, how exactly did you guys do? Yeah, so we, after seeing, you know, what they were doing, we said, hey, we can kind of scale this up and actually um, respond to a, a, a larger need. Um, let's try to tackle the issue at, at, at the home. Um, it doesn't, 
you know, there's not a waste collection service in Carrefour. There's not a private waste collection service in Carrefour. And um, the mayor's office, you know, tried to do, you know, um, waste collection service, but it lasted just a few months and it hasn't been consistent. Um, and so when people have waste, they, you know, either throw it in the river, which causes a whole host of issues. Um, and that river leads into our sea, the Caribbean Sea, um, and which causes another whole host of issues, especially for our fishermen and, and, and women who are in fishing. Um, so what we said is, okay, you guys um, have been collecting plastic. So let's have you um, do some training, you know, since you guys know a lot about, you know, plastic and waste. Let's go in and train families on recycling. And let's get families to recycle in the home. Let's have them recycle their plastic waste. Let's have them recycle their organic waste. And let's have them recycle, you know, all the residual um, residual waste. And then you'll go and you'll pick it up. And then with the plastic waste, you can continue to make your book bags. But also with the plastic waste, what we found is that they can actually make adoke. And adoke are, you know, the, are the paving tiles, the paving bricks, um, which we use a lot in Haiti. Um, and as many people know who's been to Haiti, a lot of areas in Haiti are not paved. And so there's a, you know, there's a market, there's a need to pave roads. Um, and so we said, let's, let's have you make adoke um, and continue to make book bags. And then with the organic waste, let's make um, compost. Um, and so we, we began to do that. And over the past year and a half, we've been piloting it with a small number of families in Carrefour. It's going really well. They pay a small amount. Um, and then we tier fund subsidizes and we support Isaiah Wazir with materials with, you know, um, we pay, you know, the, the staff on there, you know, to do the collection and it's going really, really well. And the idea is that by doing this, we can help because, you know, when the waste is just thrown out in homes or in the streets, it gets burned, yeah. um, which causes a whole host of health issues, health. environmental issues, Um and so by collecting this waste, we're addressing health. You know, we're having health impacts. We're having environmental impacts. We're creating jobs for young people in Carrefour. Um, and we're also creating, um, you know, products um, that are needed in society. You know, the tiles, the compost, and we're helping enterprise in Haiti. Um, and so, you know, we're ticking like five boxes here with, you know, with this project. And so mm -hmm, it's, it's, it's been so good that we were actually um, able to write a proposal for a larger uh, grant, um, which has been, you know, approved. And um, we'll be starting um, a three-year project um, this coming June, um, looking at scaling that up to um, 3,000 households in Carrefour. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we're really excited, really excited for that. That's awesome. So that's the sort of work I, I love hearing about, because again, you're, you're so many ways to <clears throat> attack social issues but do it through enterprise they call that specifically social enterprise right yeah and that's really a way where imagine now mark you step away from this i say you tier fund yeah away from this uh the infrastructure that's being built now it can it can you know it will may perhaps the demand may go down slightly right because mm -hmm. you are running a subsidy but mm -hmm. it will endure right yes. and because it's an enterprise that's adding value and, and yeah. it has as a process flow related to adding value, uh, it's always going to continue to find value long yeah. after you're gone. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, you know, you have these NGOs that a lot of folks feel very much disenfranchised because after so many years, they'll see so, so little change. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm sure you're already seeing the change in the little yeah. time you, you've, you've been a part of. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, uh, and I do want to give these guys a plug out. I've tried to include their link to their, uh, you know, IG and, and, and website. Um, so folks can go ahead and support uh, that entrepreneurship activity. It's, it's, they have some very quality products, let me tell you. Uh, and uh, and so that's that's fantastic. And so I, I don't want to switch this to that much a grander conversation about <clears throat> the, I don't know, the, 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 why it's so uncommon for NGOs to do what you're doing. But so many NGOs, they, again, as you mentioned, alluded to in the, in the very beginning, they'll fly in, they'll do some work, take some photos, fly out, and then nothing's really changed minus what they've maybe built, but even that's going to be gone and, and out of maintenance within a few months, right? So they, in fact, they'll have very little to show for. Uh, the work and the money being done, and I, I just irrationally speaking, I don't. I never really understood that. I, I get the, the the feel good. I remember one woman uh, I kind of knew and, and said, "Hey, uh, see what you're doing in Haiti? Would, would you know? I I want to love some kids. You know, I want to you know I want to show some kids some love. Uh, and uh, and can you know any orphanages that?" Would allow me to fly in and, and give gifts and then and, and just and just give some kids attention. Again, woman is a Christian woman, uh, meaning she's very heartfelt, very much wanted to 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 provide aid to who she felt was suffering, which is fine. But the thing is, is that doing it that way is bad for so many reasons. A, it's it's unsafe for the kids because yeah, you're good of heart, but what about the others? You know men and women who aren't right who who use these kids as targets uh others other things is that you know funny enough you know we're talking about orphanages but this is just an example out of the larger body of ngos uh and not-for-profit assistance now these kids have adults 80 percent of orphanage kids in haiti have at least one living parent yeah right so it's because the parents don't have ways to take care of them, they don't have jobs, they feel it necessary to give those kids up for a chance of a better life, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 the result of that is often tragic. And just a few months ago, there was an orphanage that that burnt down, and how many kids died? Somewhere around ten to thirteen kids died, including two two you know employees of of that orphanage, all because even though that orphanage was taken in somewhere around like ten million or thirteen million, a lot six million millions of dollars, but yet only expending a few hundred thousand. And these kids were 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 living in conditions where they're just candles. Like, mm -hmm. And one of the candles fell over and it burnt the entire home and all these kids died. Yeah. Right. And it's travesty. And, and, and the last I heard, there were some charges being pursued. And I really justice is served because um, there are Pennsylvania, you know, Pennsylvania based, you yeah. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania based uh, um, orphanage. And so that's just one example. But the most common example is just NGOs that. Uh, they they want something built. They'll fly in volunteer volunteers. You know, you know, Haiti has this very notorious um, poverty tourism, right? Where folks from the middle of America, you know, looking to spend, you know, or build a college resume filled of philanthropy, or just because they're very naively wanting to do good in a place that needs good, they'll fly in, paint some paint some buildings or you know, you know, place some, some, uh, some cement boulders around and say, yeah, we've done something and flew, flew out, even though the most effective way to have done that would have been to hire professionals in the country for a fraction of the price to mm -hmm. do the work. Right. Uh, and, 
And that's just one example. The other, of course, is products flying in. Flying in products that could have easily been bought. For example, peanut butter, soap. All that is made by companies and people in, in Haiti. And when you fly stuff into the country, you're taking it away from the from the people who could have sold it. Because you can't compete against zero, right? And these people are, you know, ultimately going to be competing against zero because you're going to be giving these these products to other Haitians that would have potentially bought it, you know, and, and now they're not, right? And, and you're only actually hurting the economy more than, than not. And so the way so many of these NGOs are structured, it's really, really bad. So I don't talk, talk to talk to us about, obviously, you never work for another NGO. So you can't speak to it, but I don't know. Have you tried to engage these other some of these NGOs that are doing it inappropriately? Have you talked? What what's the sort of pushback or feedback or sense that you've gotten from these NGOs that that are doing it wrong? And and, and are you seeing a change in general with the general ecosystem of NGOs of those you you are no knowledge of or may interact with? Yeah, I mean, there's so much so much to unpack um, there. There's there's so many reasons um, to give you know. Just a few. One of the biggest issues is that um, a lot of the work that's being done in Haiti is is donor led. It's being led by the people giving them money. Um, and you know, one of the things that I learned very early on is he who pays the pipe, he who pays the piper, calls the tune. Whoever is given the money has the say on how it's spent. And now the problem lies with the donor. The problem lies with, you know. 90% of them, I would say, are, they're not ill-intentioned. Um, it's just that the fact that, you know, they're not looking at the history. They're not looking at the results. You know, back 30 years ago, everyone thought it was fine, you know, for people to come over and give help and, you know, give things and give food. No one would have said, hey, this is not a good idea. But 30 years later, we see the effects of it. And when we think about it and look at it and evaluate it, we can now see that, hey, rather than coming and giving food or coming and, you know, giving things, you can buy things locally. And like you said, you can hire someone locally. Um, but it's only after the fact, only after we've done these evaluations, only after we've seen the impacts, we can say that. Um, and now the, 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 the question is, are, are donors willing to look at the facts? Are they willing to look at, um, you know, the evaluations? Are they look, willing to look at the reports um, and say, hey, we want to change the way that we work? Um, and so what Tier Fund and what many other organizations have done is a few years ago, we adopted what's called the Grand Bargain. The Grand Bargain is basically a deal um, between a lot of the large UN agencies, the, the large donors um, all over the world. Um, basically, that bargain says, hey, we're looking at more transparency in our funding. We're looking at um, also increasing the localization of aid. Um, so less people coming from the outside um, and more people from the inside doing the actual work, more of the money actually getting to, you know, the communities directly and being informed by the communities directly, um, which I think, you know, is is, is really big um, and a really big help. Um, the, I think one of the reasons people are f afraid to go in that, in, you know, in the towards that trajectory is because whenever you do that, it means you're relinquishing some of your uh, control, you know, to say that, Hey, I'm going to give these Haitians this money rather than coming and building it. You're relinquishing some control. Um, and it takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of strong relationships in order to do that. 
Um, it's not easy to do that, but actually that is the correct way. And one of the things I've always said with missionaries, ra rather than you coming to Haiti every year, how about you come once every three years and the years where you don't come still send the money as if you were coming, <laughs> raise the money as if you were coming and send it. And I guarantee you, I mean, that 10000 or $20,000 you would have spent on a missionary trip, that can go so far in Haiti. Imagine, you know, not spending that money on T-shirts and, and, and drivers and, and airplane tickets and actually investing that money into a community. Imagine how many communities over the course of 50 years will have been transformed through your investment. Um, and so it, it, the heart of it is really a control thing. It's really a relationship thing. And it's really, you know, are the donors willing to try something different? Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Great example. I love that. Uh, idea of uh, you know what you're going to spend anyways, yeah. you know, you know, give it to uh, a community. Uh, focus on providing a community partner or associate, right, to, to drive a project home locally, which is very very important. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, so that the, the 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 solutions are known. The direction that we should be going, yeah, is known. It's just that you know, there's just so you so you mentioned that there are a lot of NGOs that did sign this grand bargain, and so and so they are moving in that direction. So do you feel do you feel right now there's more NGOs doing it right than doing it wrong? I, I still feel that I I still think that there um we have a lot of <laughs> improvement yet um to make. I, there are a lot of NGOs who continue um to help, but in their helping hurt, you know, continue to hurt um, communities. Uh, I think that there are some NGOs who are finally getting it, who are finally looking at the data, who are finally looking at and listening to communities. Um, but again, even when you know what should be done, the courage to do it is totally different. And it requires, you know, these NGOs who have a lot of money. And what I said, you know, I think we spoke about this one time before was that, the money from the NGOs are not, you know, that money is not going to stop coming in. That money is going to continue. Um, and it takes courage to say, hey, rather than using our money this way, we're going to use it a different way, um, which may mean we see we see less impact in the short term, but we see greater impact in the long term. Um, and that's the sacrifice that needs to happen. So it's it's happening, but still very slow. But um, I, I think we're we're in the right direction. All right, all right. Uh, it needs it needs you know. Again, I think it's just to sort of wrap up the conversation. I think you know these folks really really need to realize that Haiti has been in this perpetual NGO state for 30, 30 you know thirty years, twenty years now, yeah. and right. and there has little to show for it. Like we're yeah. still the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, as folks love to mention, right. right? And the results in terms of every statistic, you know, life expectancy, mortality, child mortality, all that really hasn't moved in, yeah. in, in that time frame, right? Oh, and so <clears throat> we really have to ask ourselves, those who are part of the helping Haiti community, what is wrong? Really have a hard felt look at what is wrong and look at yourselves, look at the what you're doing and how you're doing it and change what change it based off that analysis. And because again, there's that famous Einstein quote, doing the same thing and expecting mm -hmm. a different result is insanity. 
right? Yeah. And it's the worst type of insanity because in Einstein's case, it was just you affecting you. Yeah. But in, in the NGO's case, you're you're affecting a community, you're yeah. affecting a country, and you're affecting entire people yeah. when, by doing things the wrong way continually, right? Yeah. So so that's that's my 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 piece of it because I know for example you know Rwanda and even Ethiopia they have you know and the government does have an important role to play because the the government in those countries steps have stepped in and said no this is what if you're an NGO in this country here's what you're gonna do you yeah. know your here's what our national plan is and here's different ways you can plug into it and what you what we expect out of you and the results we expect and if you're not gonna follow the program you're out. You're out of yeah. here. You're gonna your license, get out, right? And so uh, at the end of the day, I, I always say this: all roads lead to the government, right? All yeah. roads lead to, you know, a, a political solution, right? As much as we talk about business and doing our part, all roads, all roads lead there. So at some point, you, you, you know, we're gonna have to step on that road, you know. Yeah. But we have to do it the right way, uh, and that's do it organized, do it as a block, do it once we're influenced. And be successful because we can be, despite all roads leading to, 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 to the government, you can still be successful despite the government being in your way if you do it the right way. Sure. That's why you know, we, we, we talk about what we talk about here on Nation Diaspora, on my people IT podcast, and uh, we'll keep on talking about it. Uh, but, but yeah, so I think that's, that's as much as I want to say uh, of it. Uh, again, a lot of NGOs are doing some great work. I'm not taking away from anybody who's yeah. doing this. And he's just, he's just a large elephant. Uh, that it takes a lot of hands. It's gonna take a lot of hands to cover Haiti and to to get it to move because you know elephants are heavy and a lot of hands to push it and a lot of hands to cover it. Uh, so so hats off to anyone who's listening from the NGO community. I appreciate we appreciate you here. Uh, that is for sure. But all we're saying is let's think about ways we can do things even better, right? Yeah. And actually get some impact, um, long-standing impact versus the short-term gains, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's where uh, I don't have much more to say. I mean, do you want to say some final thoughts, Mark, on COVID and, and NGOs in general? Uh, I, um, you know, in case anyone is listening who have you know maybe who has maybe you know supported tier funding our work, thank you, um, thank you for your support, thank you for your prayers, thank you for you know the resources you you may have shared. Um, and if you are interested in, in supporting tier fund, please you know visit our website. There's a lot of information there, um, tierfund.org. Um, but also, we have tons and tons of free resources. I mean, on almost every topic. If, if you're interested in, in you know, doing waste management, if you're interested in farming, if you're whatever you're interested in, go on tierfund.org. Also, go on tierfundlearn.org. You'll find free resources on a whole host of things. And so, um, yeah, thank you for for for. Well, connecting with us, and yeah, um, I'm really excited to hear people's feedback about about this topic. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, certainly I'm going to include the information underneath for sure. So, guys, if you you know the, the, in the description of wherever you may be listening to, it's going to be down there. But tierfund.org. Yeah. Uh, here, uh, the, the I always cite tierfund as an organization that has it figured out and doing it the right way. Uh, so, if you guys do want to fund uh, or donate. Uh, whatever it is, I mean, you guys will accept. I'm sure even five bucks, right? Five, ten bucks, whatever amount, right? Yeah. Folks want to contribute, you can contribute that um, because they're they're really doing it the right way. Then. And and as for as for me, my final thoughts again: COVID. We'll, we'll keep praying about COVID, and uh, and and again, uh, we'll keep fighting. I think at the end of the day, uh, Haiti takes multiple fronts to to, to 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 even put a dent in its 
uh, progression. And so however and wherever folks can contribute, I do welcome to do it. But just always strategize about what is the best way. So that's the episode uh, you just finished watching or listening to Ma Pimpo Aiti, yeah. the Haiti Task for Living Haiti podcast. And some of and we're on every different platform. And so some of you could have really watched it. We're on YouTube and on Facebook as well. We put the, the, the episode there. We're also we're on Spotify, we're on, we're on, uh, they're on all of them, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor. We're on all of them. So make sure if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe wherever you may be. Hit that like button. Hit that thumbs up. Right. Uh, you know, give us that five star. Drop a comment. You know, I, I respond. Right. Drop a comment. Right. We we'll appreciate you. Certainly. Right. And again, we'll, we'll, you know, during this COVID time, we're dropping a lot more episodes. So look out for them. Uh, they're they're engaging, I, I like to think. And and we're going to keep on keeping on. Right. Yes, yes, so. So again, until until we're back at it again, we'll be back at it again. Peace.